Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, my name is Shane Baldacchino, and this is episode 45 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast. And today I'm joined yet again by Dr. Pete Stansky as we close out our two-part series on getting on getting started on AWS. Pete, I think you're looking a little stressed here. It wouldn't be just a few days before Sydney Summit, would it? I know I'm living on a mixture of coffee and adrenaline as we strive for the net in the coming days. Hey Shane, hi listeners. Yes, look, um, there's a few things going on, a few balls being you know uh, juggled up in the air. So yes, you're right. Um, I am looking a little bit stressed, and I'm still recovering from my flu, which uh, absolutely totally floored me. But I'm super excited because Sydney Summit is here, as you said. Um, but I'm also super excited because I hopped on the console just. Um, uh, yesterday. And guess what? The AWS Hong Kong region is now open for business. So you can use it today. Uh, its official name is Asia Pacific and the API name is AP-East1. Um, so this is the um, eighth active AWS region in Asia Pacific. Uh, and it's uh, uh, in conjunction with you know um, mainland China, along with Beijing, Mumbai, uh, Zingzia, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, and Tokyo. And with this launch, uh, AWS now spans, Shane, 64 AZs with 21 geographic regions all around the world. Um, and as you know, and hopefully listeners, you guys are, are aware of this, uh, we've got also plans for 12 more availability zones and four more regions in Bahrain, Cape Town, Jakarta, and Milan, Shane. How cool is that? That is pretty special. And just a point to call out here, though, um, I mean, customers have also spoken to us quite a bit um, around controlling access to these regions. So when you actually hop on the console, uh, you will probably have to enable uh, your identity and access management uh, to be able to access that. So um, this process will take about between six to nine hours for most accounts, uh, but you can also enable and disable access to um, the Hong Kong region uh, programmatically. Yeah, and look, just to call out on that, I think it was like from New Regions launched post-March 2019, and I believe we'll be adding that functionality sometime in the future for existing regions. Indeed, but the other thing I'm also super excited, listeners, is that uh, uh, AWS Tech Chat is not just on iTunes uh, and Audible, as you guys know, as well as on the awstechchat.com, uh, which we direct to the uh, AWS website, but we're also now on Stitcher and on Spotify. So we now have more mechanisms for us to get into your ears, and uh, we're making it easier to access the show from uh, many different clients. So today's show is a continuation of part one, where we gave you a foundational education in web hosting and AWS in general. In case you missed part one, it may be worth going back to listen, but at a high level, we spoke about domain registration and DNS in general with Amazon Route 53, which is an awesome, awesome DNS service. We spoke about hosting and touched on the various options you have in AWS. And finally, we transitioned to email with Amazon Workmail. So this is so today. So that, was, that, was, that was the question that we, we could often get asked at barbecues, right? It, uh, so we're hopefully fueling you with some extra ammunition, uh, how to impress your friends and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, own the conversation at the barbecue table. That's it. And we're going <laughs> to own it a little bit more today because we're going to build on this foundation. Indeed. So you've got your website up and running. You can receive email. You think you're doing okay, 
But in reality, maybe you know you are still Daniel Sun, and you're not long. You're not Mr. Miyagi as yet. That's a reference but, back to the uh, to the eighties. Jeez, it is, isn't it? Nice. Yeah, it's for showing our age here. So you know, how do you take it to another level? You know, there's still a lot of paint the fence and wax on, wax off to go. Struggling here, Pete, to continue with the Karate Kid puns, but I'm going to keep going. Um, all right, so we're going to hit the dojo or the gym today and really take your website and your periphery systems to the next level. Indeed. So, look, I've already touched upon um, the new region, and uh, look, we do have a local uh, Sydney summit coming up uh, in the next few days, in fact. Uh, I'm going to just skip the uh, the announcements uh, in this episode, um, but I do want to call out that... Um, uh, Deep Racer is well and truly amongst us. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in that space. Uh, stay tuned to the global championships on that, especially Sydney is going to be a major uh, event where you get to see how fast your Deep Racer can go around the track. Can you beat the seven seconds that's all hit? Who knows? Um, but look, uh, uh, so yeah, so Sydney Summit spread over three days uh, from the 30th of April to the 2nd of May. Uh, we've also got uh, the summit in London on the 8th of May. Uh, and Mumbai on the 15th. So Shane, uh, uh, you and I have been, uh, you're gonna, we're going to be quite busy actually. We're going to be doing AWS Summit Live in Sydney for three days on Twitch, broadcasting everything uh, from the event. Um, and between us and the rest of the tech check gang, we're going to be streaming um, a whole bunch of really interesting things. So how do you feel about that? Is that part of your stress as well for the summit? Look, I think it's a bit like painting, you know, it is all in the prep work. You know, there's a lot of busy people frantically running around behind the scenes and I have no doubt, you know, it will run like clockwork. But, you know, when I told my daughter I was going to be wearing makeup, this is my eight-year-old daughter here, you know, she got really excited. Um, I'm, you know, before I told her she couldn't practice on me. Well, you know, you got to make sure that uh, you cover, as I've learned, the T, right? which is the, uh, you know, between the eyebrows and the nose. That's where you get uh, most of the sweat and um, shininess when you get recorded on, on a camera. Something I didn't really know until, uh, until last year when I started doing Twitch. Tips from a pro there, Pete. But look, <laughs> yeah. in all seriousness, look, yes, I'm exhausted, but I am really excited in the lead up here. Um, you know, I was just at car sales the other day, Australia's number one car site. And hearing, you know, how they built their own search engine using native AWS tech was really inspiring. Um, so they'll be on Twitch next next week. So be sure to tune Indeed. in. And look, we've got over 70 different slots. That's 70 uh, on Twitch, right? Uh, we're going to have a lot of different mini breakout sessions uh, as part of the event. We've got hands-on labs. We get to build Alexa skills and a whole raft of other things. We've got the keynotes. Uh, they're also going to be streamed, by the way. So if you can't physically get there, um, that's okay. Just uh, plant yourself in front of the laptop and make sure you register for the live streams. Um, we're going to be on the launch pad, which is the, the main studio um, as well. Well, as we'll be roaming around the place uh, on the floor uh, and who knows Shane we might even actually be by the track side of the Deep Racer League uh, throughout those uh, couple of days that we're actually live streaming but on with the show on with the show okay so you're working hard you're building that awesome website but how do you really know if you're gaining traction or not you know just like the sports saying if you're not keeping score well you know it is just practice Maybe, you know, your metric on your website could be orders received or, you know, conversely, it could be maybe the number of times your website has gone offline. Shane, is that really the one you want to track? Because you probably don't want to be tracking it too much because hopefully your site is going well. But I, I agree with you. It's nice to know when things don't go well. Um, yeah, you know, you'd be surprised how many times, you know, you get you go visit websites and you get those 503s or 5X errors. Um, 
or response times that are absolutely appalling. Well, you know what? You can fix that. I mean, if you use AWS CloudFront, you can create custom error pages. Um, so if you're using them, it's a great idea because you can create custom error pages so those 503s look a little bit different, a little bit more human-friendly. Yeah. Um, conversely, you know, you can use um, friendly error pages in like your Apache, Nginx, IS, etc. Yeah, you d- I don't think you want to be displaying um, internal server errors or .NET yellow screens of death, Not et cetera. At all. But the cool thing about actually using CloudFront is you can actually have those, uh, say, error pages um, in the CDN, which means you don't actually have to, if you have uh, lots of different backends or microservices, you don't have to have custom error pages for every one of those. You can just define them fundamentally in CloudFront and uh, the entire site will actually benefit from it. But anyway, I digress. One pl- yeah, one place to rule Indeed. them all. All right, so... You know, in order to take your website to the next level, you really need to understand, you know, what you're working with, you know, what's happening. And the po- most popular method to observe what's going on under the hood these days is to use an ELK stack. So this isn't an animal, but it is an acronym for Elasticsearch, Logstash, Kibana. And I would say it is almost becoming common language like LAMP is today. That's uh, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. But if you're not aware of an ELK stack, Pete, can you talk us through what it is and, you know, why we should use one. Sure, Shane. And uh, so, look, uh, as the acronym implies, there are three main components here, E-L-K, right? So there is the search engine component, which is the Elasticsearch. And Elasticsearch is a search engine based on Lucene Library, uh, which um, I've personally used many, many years ago. It's still around, live and active. Um, and what it does, it provides a distributed, multi-tenanted, um, capable full-text search engine with a basically an HTTP web interface and a schema-free JSON document um, capability for indexing. And, and basically maneuvering and exploring. Um, it's been around since 2010. Uh, it powers many popular sites like Wikipedia and uh, all the way through the likes of Netflix. And also it's worth calling out that because it is schema-free, it really is a universal search engine um, which you can publish your telemetry of your website and uh, you may also have you know, app, uh, you know, your apps uh, committing you know, custom data into the Elasticsearch search engine. Yeah. Um- and, you know, as we transition from Elasticsearch, which is the E, into the L, which is Logstash. So Logstash is a lightweight open source server-side data processing pipeline that allows you to collect data from a variety of sources, transform it on the fly, and then send it to your desired destination, which more often than not is going to be a data pipeline into Elasticsearch. Mm-hmm. So I just mentioned a variety of sources, you know, but typically from a website, this is going to be like NSA or W3 SVC log formats from Apache IIS into Elasticsearch. And because of the tight integration with Elasticsearch as powerful log processing capabilities, it has over 200 pre-built open source plugins that can really help easily index your data. And Logstash is, I will say, you know, the most popular choice for loading data into Elasticsearch. So Shane, in the context of your website, it would be basically Logstash that would be feeding Elasticsearch with data, right? And you can also ingest the log files from your website directly into um, Elasticsearch instances. That's right. So look, I get Elasticsearch is the brains, you know, of the operations. It's the search engine. The L is for Logstash, which is the mechanism for ingestion into Elasticsearch. But what is the K? Of course, K is for Kibana, Shane. Ah, that cured meat that people often serve <laughs> on platters. You know, it's actually one of my favorites. I could eat sticks no, of that stuff. No, that's Kibana. It's Kisses Kibana we're talking about. Um, so no, Shane, it really is your window or the way you visualize your elastic stack, right? So, so Kibana lets you visualize your um, elastic search data and really be able to navigate the elastic stack 
So you can actually uh, do anything from learning uh, why you're getting your page, your pager going off at 2 a.m. Uh, to really understanding the impact that rain may have on your quarterly numbers if you're running an e-commerce website. So it's um, it's a way to spot the, you know really the needle in the haystack. So from um, Highlighting long-running pages of, for execution uh, via the web browser uh, and trying to find out how long it takes to get the first byte out of your website uh, to understanding trends in your website. It really is a powerful way of visualizing all that information that's being uh, you know, pushed in and also um, uh, indexed uh, and then gives you a visual view of what's going on. Yeah, because look, a picture, as I say, is often worth a thousand words or maybe a thousand log lines in this case. Okay. It's a smooth. Okay. (laughs) So look, um, Kibana, you know, it gives you the freedom to select, you know, the way you want to shape your data and you don't always potentially need to know what you're looking for. You know, it has helped me out tremendously in the past, you know, to, to spot those trends that, you know, I just would not have, um, picked up using, uh, back then probably log parser on the command line or maybe some, uh, regex uh um, vb script i wrote yeah so look what i like about kibana is though it helps me be lazy and what i mean by that is you often don't need to reinvent the wheel you know a kibana dashboard is you know it's a json based document and you can usually enter into your favorite search engine something like maybe kibana is dashboard or kibana exchange dashboard or you know download your own um or download a few pull them apart, combine the JSON from this and that and create your own. Um, so, Pete, I will be honest with you here. I love Elasticsearch, Logstash, Kibana, mm-hmm. Elk. I stopped using it in version 5 and I see version 7 has just launched. You know, it is absolutely awesome, but it can be quite hard too. You know, it's complex. There's clusters, there's nodes to manage, there's indexes, totally. there's shards and replicas to configure and scale. I hear this has got easier, but it is still not for the faint look, It can be a little bit complicated for somebody who uh, is just getting into it. And this is where the Amazon Elasticsearch comes in. Uh, it's actually one of my most popular services these days. And it's, um, it's a fully managed service that makes it easy for you and uh, somebody who's new to deploy and operate Elasticsearch. You get the full entire Elk stack um, that you need uh, without the operational overhead uh, administration, uh, just like you mentioned, it just it just works. Uh, and the cool thing about it is you mentioned going from version five to seven. Um, to do an upgrade between versions, actually pretty straightforward with us, is we allow you to transition from um, the older version to the newer version in a very frictionless way. Um, if you read the actual documentation, um, I'll, I'll cut, to the, cut through the mustard for you guys. It just really depends on taking a snapshot um, of your data, um, going to the new version of the stack, and we make the cutover easy for you. So fundamentally, um, in summary, if you want to operate a full text search, analytics, um, and eliminate lots of the heavy lifting uh, and all of this stuff in running your own environment, Amazon Elasticsearch is the tool for you um, that's going to elevate your status in the dojo to the next level, Shane. Boom. All right. <laughs> oh, is that a little tie back so, to, uh, you know, wax on, wax off, Mr. Miyagi? I like it. Um, look, if you are a new or maybe you're a seasoned IT pro, getting a grip on Elasticsearch and what it can offer, you know, will really put you instead for a long and healthy. But IT Shane, it's career. also very important to think about collaboration as well. Very, very important. It is, and I think collaboration is making the world a much smaller place. You know, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not. Um, probably about. Um, we just had a long weekend here in Australia, and I decided to head away for family. 
And I just found out, and I was actually a little bit sad about this. You know, my favorite fishing spot has mobile reception, and this is five kilometers offshore. I don't know about you, Shade. I, I, I would like to have coverage in case my boat tips over. I don't know about you, but uh, I would love. I would like some CB radios and all sorts of other stuff. It, it is yeah? true. Yeah. Um, I mean, you like to live more dangerously than I do. <laughs> maybe I do, but um, I think one way or another, you know. Email these days is playing second fiddle in many organizations to the wave of instant messaging tools out there. You know, gone are the days where you need to be in the office. Um, you know, today's office is anywhere. I prepped part of this show watching my kids at gymnastics, you know, as an example. And we often talk about feedback loops in software development, you know, how you can shorten them. You know, can you really afford to wait till a team is all together um, or an email chain, you know, around the world converges? Uh, look, Shane, perhaps if, you know, if you want to be uh, out of business uh, while your competitors eat your lunch, maybe that's what you want to do. But uh, if you fast, uh, well, if you rewind, I guess, back to 2017, um, we took to wraps off a service called Amazon Chime, which is a video conferencing communications platform that's focused for you and your business. Um, and Chime is pretty, pretty cool because you and I use it every day, in fact, uh, inside, inside uh, AWS and uh, many of our customers also do inside the enterprise context. But Chime lets you meet, chat and place business calls inside and outside of your organization, um, all using it by, by using a single client application. And it blends really instant messaging, video calling, groom chats, uh, all into one single app. Um, and it uh, makes it really simple for us to actually, you know, get to talk to each other no matter where we are, even whether you're in a boat or, uh, you know, watching your daughter's um, um, practice. Very true. So it is awesome and it has a few aces up its sleeve, Pete. Can you tell us? It does. It does. Uh, so you can use Amazon Chime with, uh, with something called a voice connectors, um, which means that you can integrate Chime with many popular phone systems such as a SIP, which is basically a, you know, a soft phone telephony backend. Um, and you can have your phone numbers um, uh, also reused, which is your dial-in numbers, which are in the E164 format, uh, which really formats numbers to the uh, 15 characters and uh, the international standard for prefixed calling, um, as you probably are aware of or using your mobile phone. Um, but what all this means really is that you can integrate Chime into almost any existing uh, phone system, ranging from something like an Asterix, which I've played with many, many years ago, which is a, a PABX in software running on your local or under your desk server. Uh, really awesome. We have indeed. Um, so it may be um, kind of obvious, but um, check out the doco for the inbound and outbound traffic um, to make sure that all the ports are open, uh, to make sure that uh, you can actually connect uh, the various services, including audio, video, screen sharing, and chat uh, with Amazon Chime. But also what's really cool is if you're a dev, uh, I know this is something that I really enjoyed and I know you've played with Shane here, is uh, the ability to ha to have webhooks into a Chime channel. Yeah, exactly. Look, curating content for tech chat is a tough job at the best of times, you know, with an average of five new updates per day to our platform, you know, we need a way to stay up to date. So Chime and webhooks here. I've written a Python Lambda function, which uses an RSS library in my Python code. It writes data to a DynamoDB table and then on a channel in Chime. So I'm using a webhook here. So what this means, every time I release a new feature, my Lambda function is going to pick this up and publish them to a Chime channel. And you know, because these webhooks are effectively an API call, you can integrate them into almost any application. 
It's pretty cool because you can use webhooks to programmatically send messages to any of your uh, Chime chat rooms. Um, and for example, you can notify the team about a creation of a new resource, uh, a travel ticket, um, maybe at a link um, to the channel, um, or perhaps have your Elasticsearch uh, call a webhook when an alarm is breached. Yeah. So look, what you need to know about webhooks, you know, being programmatic, it's going to require some form of custom development or an application that has built-in integration already. You can create up to 10 webhooks for each chat room. Webhook messages can be formatted with Markdown and can include that very important emojis, really important They're very stuff. important. Absolutely. Yes, yes very key. Mm. Um, HTTP links and email addresses render as clickable links, which is great. I love being able to post uh, HTTP links to certain blog pages in the messages that I publish around what AWS is launched. Um, and you can also include, you know, uh, special parameters like at all and at present annotations to alert members and present members in the chat room. And there we go. Pretty handy, Shane. But I think you may have forgotten one really, really powerful feature of Chime, and that's uh, when everyone's really busy, uh, and we're all busy today, as as you can, you and I can relate, because um, there's, there's just so much going on. How often do you forget to join a meeting? Uh, not because you're um, don't want to, um, but because you forgot and you're distracted with something else. Yeah, look, more often than not, and I see where you're going here, this is probably, for me, the the key differentiator with Chime and its competitors in the market. This is the party party piece here. Yes, and look, when you're in Outlook, Gmail, or your favorite email client of choice, uh, if you actually add meet at Chime dot AWS as an email aliens to your meeting invite. By adding that, um, we'll enable Chime to call all of the attendees uh, automatically via the Chime client two minutes before the meeting starts. So you can actually ensure that everybody is there and you're actually starting on time. It's a, it really is a great party feature. Um, and look, the cost uh, cost was from Chime comes in two basic flavors. Is that there's the basic um, Chime and the Pro. Uh, the Chime Basic is free, and if you check out the features list, it really is comprehensive um, and not really watered down. You can perform video group chats, uh, auto-calling, you get, you get your webhooks, screen sharing, around desktop control, and so on and on. And with the pro version, adding, um, you can also add larger attendees, uh, so about 100 people to a meeting. You can do international dialing, so you can call out. Um, you have... Um, uh, directory service integration, and also recording plus a whole bunch of uh, other features. And uh, the pro version costs you $3 per day uh, right up until you hit $15, uh, which is what you're going to pay. Uh, and if you're starting out, uh, you can do some really cool stuff with this. Um, very, very useful, uh, very powerful tool too, and also very invaluable for your organization, chain. Yeah. Speaking of invaluable tech, you know, your organization is now growing up. You're adding staff. Maybe you're using third-party, you know, SaaS applications. User management can become an administrative overhead, you know, adding users to servers, applications, and so on. How about when staff, you know, leave the organization? Mm. You know, you need to go visit those umpteen different servers, applications, etc. You know, it is a full-time job almost. Wouldn't it be easy if you could do it one place? It would be. And I think there comes a time, and it's usually pretty early on in most organizations, where they need some form of directory solution. And just as people say, you know, Kleenex for tissues, <laughs> the example I'm calling out here is Active Directory. And being involved heavily in the Microsoft community, Pete, here, I think it's time for a quiz. Okay. You ready? Away. All right. Yeah, let's go. In Active Directory, can you tell me what the FISMO roles are? 
Defisma role. That's what I haven't heard for a while. Okay, so um, think of it as the uh, operation master roles, uh, also known as a flexible single uh, master operations uh, role. Uh, and perform a specific task within your particular domain. And there are actually five roles that are part of FISMO uh, fundamentally, generally on the one side, but you can break these up. And that's the schema master, the domain naming master, the infrastructure master, the relative ID or the RID master, and the uh, PDC, primary domain controller emulator. Boom. Um, Blast nice past. one. I'll, uh, I'll let the audience deem if you just read that, Pete, but um, very good. Okay. <laughs> so Indeed, Shane. Indeed. Indeed. At AWS, we have a solution for AD, and that is the AWS Directory Service for Microsoft Active Directory, also known as AWS Managed Microsoft AD. So what does it do, Shane? This enables your directory aware workloads and AWS resources to use managed Active Directory in the AWS cloud. So... It's not an emulation. It is built on actual Microsoft Active Directory and doesn't require to synchronize or replicate data from an existing AD to the cloud. So, you know, you can get started with AD in AWS without bringing across any of the legacy. You can use standard Active Directory admin tools and take advantage of the built-in Active Directory features such as, you know, group policy, SSO, and so on. With AWS managed Microsoft AD, you can easily, you know, join an EC2 instance to domain or and maybe like an RDS SQL server for um, integrated authentication. I was trying mm-hmm. to think of that then. Um, yeah, very handy. It's a very handy. Very feature. handy. You know, you don't have to use SQL Server Auth as an example. Um, it ties into, you know, lots of uh, enterprise IT applications, um, you know, Chime, as we just mentioned, uh, Amazon Workspaces, et cetera, et cetera. Now, look, AD has been around for ages. I don't know the exact figures, but it's got to be at least 20 years. I was just thinking about this um, as, you know, putting the show notes together. I was aware of uh, Active Directory in NT351. So I think it's been probably about 20 years now it's been dethroning Novell. Um, so we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of AD. You know, I've already tested Pete with the FISMO roles, but let's talk about why you should run AD in AWS. Take yes. it away, Pete. But listen, it just, it just took me back to our Novell e-directory days and uh, you know when I learned about LDAP and all this really cool, funky stuff. But look, I digress. Um, so why uh, AD in AWS? Well, fundamentally for uh, high availability uh, options, right? As directories are always mission critical. You don't want these things um, stopping or, or missing a beat. Um, the Microsoft... Um, Manage AD is deployed in a HA configuration across multiple availability zones, right? So um, you can scale it out to um, multiple deployments as well uh, for your domain controllers to increase the resilience and also manage your directory for higher level availability. You know, some applications, so if you, for example, if you're running your own Exchange server, as some people do in AWS, Exchange does uh, is very chatty when it comes to talking to AD. So be aware of that. Um, the other cool thing about it is that it's fully managed, right? The um, the AD runs on managed infrastructure with uh, monitoring that automatically detects and replaces domain controllers that actually fail, Shane. So in addition, data replication and uh, automated daily snapshots are configured for you. Um, you don't need to install any software, do any additional administration. Um, all of the patching and software updates is taken care of for you. And uh, as you've kind of already alluded to before, it's got support for seamless domain joining. So if you bring up your EC2 instances, um, 
for say a uh, Windows Server instances, uh, you can actually automatically join the domain um, through the EC2 config service. So the uh, EC2 instances they come up, uh, join your AD, um, and are part of the fabric of Active Directory. Shane, yeah, and look, um, you know, doing this prior, you know, if you are running your own Active Directory within AWS, joining an EC2 instance as an example, you know. It's nowhere near as seamless if you are using managed AD mm. um, inside AWS. It's you know it you know you may need to execute a PowerShell script or do this and do that. And I think another point to call out here is you know if you've got servers as you just mentioned that Exchange machine that's you know quite chatty. Do you really want you know if you do need to communicate with uh, domain joined resources external to your AWS VPC do you really want that traffic having to go over you know a third party link maybe you know a direct connect or a VPN link that potentially could go down given you know the requirements of active directory and how chatty applications can be you know trying to access that global catalog etc it makes a lot of sense to have AD as close to your applications as possible. And look, the, the other things you can still do, Shane, is you know you can set up domain trusts. You can have one or two-way trusts. So you can actually have the AD in AWS and basically rely on your on-premises directory services, which might still be run by a different team, um, you know, in, in the home team in your own data centers. Correct, yeah. So look, getting started is as easy as, you know, setting up a directory in the console creating your users, you know, in AD users and computers. If you want to be using GPOs, set them up and joining your instances to the domain. You know, as we mentioned, it is a, it is real Microsoft Active Directory under the hood. So you can use the same tools that you're familiar and, you know, familiar with and use today to manage Microsoft AWS manage Microsoft AD. Bit of a tongue twister there. Yes, and don't forget, you can also um, you know programmatically do all this stuff um, and uh, join not just your Windows instances to a domain, but also your EC2 Linux instances as well. I've never done that before. Yes, you certainly can. Uh, uh, you know, use the same credentials if you like. Yes, there's a lot of uh, voodoo that needs to be done, but certainly it is highly achievable. So Shane, speaking of uh, you know uh, workspaces where you log in and do cool stuff in, like a Windows box, uh, we do also have some other cool things that we can talk about. Yeah. Okay. So you know you, you're collaborating with your peeps over Chime. You know you're shortening that feedback loop with your team. You can communicate really quickly now, but productivity can often be let down by development environments differing. Mm-hmm. You know, from developers, you know, you might have their favorite IDEs and SDKs pre-installed through to maybe the more creative types, definitely not me, um, you know, who need access to content authoring software. How do you ensure that everyone speaks the same language and that the onboarding of new staff occurs in the easiest, lowest friction way possible, especially when staff may be geographically dispersed? And to make things just a little bit more complicated, because we like to do that, how about if your staff need access to resources contained within your VPC? You know, so not being a white belt anymore, there are a few options from configuration management through to images, but they all have their own unique challenges. And, you know, how are you going to satisfy that need for connectivity? It could be a lot of uh, site-to-site VPNs. Pete, there is an answer to this, and it's something that both of us use daily. You know, for me, it allows me, you know, to access my favorite text editor, Notepad++, <laughs> Visual Studio, and resurrect my classic ASP applications, you know, from time to time when I need to by, you know, registering that, you know, old DLL or OCX with Reg Server 32. Can you see where I'm going I here? I think I can, Shane. Um, I believe you're hinting at Amazon Workspaces, I think. 
Exactly. Right, right, right. So in terms of high-level overview, so the Amazon Workspaces is a managed desktop service. It's really our VDI or virtual desktop infrastructure offering. Um, so just like you and I use Windows Workspaces, Shane, um, every now and again, um, you can actually use Amazon Workspaces to provide either Windows or Linux desktops in just a couple of minutes um, and also scale those out to thousands of desktops if required. And these are really useful for, like you said, for um we have to onboard lots of people quickly, be it developers, to have the same developer desktop experience for software developer engineers. Uh, you might be running a call center potentially, uh, and you want to make sure you have the same systems. So again, you can scale those things out. So these desktops can um, be placed inside your VPC. So let's just say you need to have access to a, a reporting service, right, like RDS. You can actually connect all of those to your RDS instances. You can run something like MySQL Workbench, SQL Manager, or many other tools that your uh, as you said, peeps are using in your organization um, to talk to the backend services um, that may actually reside in your VPC or potentially um, going back to your data center as well, if that's required. So um, let's talk about how you provision those and manage perhaps. Yeah, okay. So to get started with workspaces, you're going to need an AWS account. Sounds obvious, but worth calling out. Um, now, workspaces, you can actually programmatically instantiate them. Um, so, you know, you might get, I know, I know one customer who gets pretty advanced. They hook this into a ticketing system. Um, you know, when a new starter arrives, they initiate a workspace instantiation or another popular use case is for loaner applications. So, sorry, loaner laptops, mm. I should say. So, you know, someone's left their laptop at home. Well, we no longer offer loaners. Here's a workspace. Yeah, very handy. Um, very handy. But let's just assume, you know, in order to get started, you're going to start with the AWS console. So to provision an Amazon workspace, you know, first select the user from your directory. So that is your Microsoft uh, managed AD. Select an Amazon workspace bundle for the user. So workspace bundles, you know, specifies the resources you need, which desktop operating system you want, how much storage and the software applications you want prepackaged. Finally, you can choose the running mode of the workspace. So you can pick always on, you know, if you want to use a monthly billing or auto stop if you want to use hourly billing. Once your workspace is provisioned, the user will receive an email with instructions on how to connect to their workspace. Nice and easy, Shane. In terms of, yeah, look, and in terms of connecting, it is also pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I'm a creature of habit here. So I use the Amazon workspace client on uh, Mac in this scenario. There's also clients available for Windows, Chromebooks, iOS, and Android. But you can also use Chrome and Firefox web browsers. So, you know, um, HTML5, you know, magically connecting in via a web browser. I haven't done that before, but I hear a lot of people it works use well. it. I've done it. it there we go. Um, users will connect either using the credential set up by an administrator or use their existing Active Directory credentials, you know, if you've chosen to integrate Amazon Workspaces into an existing AD domain. Once a user is connected to a workspace, they can perform, you know, all the usual tasks they would on any computer. And look, Shane, we've, uh, we've covered this in the past episodes and talked about Amazon Linux too, but uh, on the OS front, Workspaces offers Amazon Linux Workspaces built on top of the Amazon Linux 2 uh, LTS, so long-term support, uh, Windows 7 and uh, or Windows 10 desktop experience. And Windows 7 and 10 experiences are essentially powered by Windows Server 2008 R2 and Windows Server 2016 respectively. So um, if you're organization is eligible to bring their own licenses for Windows desktops, uh, you can run Windows 7 or 10 uh, enterprise operating systems on your Amazon workspaces. Now, you also mentioned, Shane, 
uh, the creative types. Uh, we have also them uh, those guys covered where we give you a GPU-based workspaces client plan option as well. So uh, if you choose to run graphics or high-end uh, graphics pro bundle, if you like, um, depending on the requirements of your graphics workload, um, this is where you know you get to be really techy and go really deep on those because uh, the graphics bundles are really well suited for uh, general purpose graphics workloads such as computer um, you know aided designs so or CAD and manufacturing engineering software. Um, the graphics bundles come with a uh, high performance NVIDIA GPUs uh, with our uh, fifteen hundred and thirty six CUDA cores and four gigabytes of video RAM. Um, which can be attached to your workspace instance to make it available. Now, don't forget, the other thing is that uh, we support multiple screens as well. Um, the graphic bundle is also ideal for uh, running 3D applications for visualization, so 3D rendering, image processing, video encoding, uh, media encoding, uh, doing a whole bunch of um, very graphically intensive um, activities um, because they do come with um, lots of hardware for encoding. And uh, we support up to um, 10H264, uh, at 1080p at 30 frames per second uh, video streams. So um, we can go as high as 18 of those, by the way. So uh, we can actually push a lot of uh, GPU cycles through those bundles. Uh, so fundamentally, uh, think about it as if you need to run um, high-end graphics applications, we've got you covered. Um, and the Graphics Pro bundles also contain 16 vCPUs, 122 gigabytes of RAM, uh, and 8 gigabytes of video memory. Um, and a minimum of 100 gigabytes of root volume. And if that was enough, uh, we also give you another 100 gigabytes uh, for your user data. So if you want to have a Windows 10 desktop experience powered by Windows 2016, uh, running you know multiple screens of uh, highly graphic intensive apps, you certainly can. Yeah, and look, you know, 16 vCPUs, 122 gigs of RAM, eight gigs of video memory, this you know, really opens up a lot of options here. And look, I'm unsure if I mentioned this in the past, Pete, in our many conversations, but I used to help out a top-level V8 supercar motorsport team in Australia. You haven't. So, hello, you haven't before. No, hello, V8 supercar listeners. So this was about, you know, 2005, 2006. Oh, yeah. And back then, you know, it wasn't an option to use workspaces or, you know, like a VDI solution in order to run your Katia or SolidWorks workloads out there. Um, you know, so these are very intensive OpenGL um, systems that would require, you know, spending back then, you know, $30,000, um, you know, to buy effectively, they're effectively servers, a lot of these um, workstations these days, you know, they're Intel, you know, multi-socket Intel Xeons, multi-GPU cards, and those things aren't cheap, but today, you know, it's quite possible you could actually run that workload on a workspace with, you know, a graphics or a graphics pro bundle. You know, it's another option that you It's pretty have. awesome because you, only, you, you don't get to pay all that money up front either, right? You actually get to pay a monthly fee and uh, off you go. There, and yeah, um, that's exactly right. You know, and as workspaces you know, the hardware evolves, you're not constantly having to, you know, dish out additional funds to refresh your hardware. So Pete, I mentioned creating custom mm -hmm. images. So, you know, we get every organization is different. You know, you may need to maybe map home drives, have specific group policies, custom software. Oh, yeah. So for the Windows instances of workspaces, you know, that is the Windows 7 and Windows 10 um, options that you described, 
you can use the standard workspaces image management functionality to further customize these images and then save it back as a new workspace image in your account. You know, in effect, you're creating like a master or a golden Gold image. Gold image, that's a popular phrase that most stuff. companies use for those things. Yeah. I've built many of those in the past. Um, oh, yeah. I don't miss those days, no. but um, no. that's probably a story for another day. Uh, at this stage, custom images aren't an option on Amazon Linux, but you know you could easily you know create something via a Bash script or maybe something more advanced using configuration management like Ansible to provide you know the ability to auto download packages from you know your configured repo. Indeed. Indeed. Now, listen, Shane. On the security front, uh, it's also very important. It's worth calling out, and then everyone hopefully knows that the security is our highest priority at AWS, and we, we focus heavily on that. Um, we also give you the controls to lock down your uh, instances through the VPC security groups um, to limit access to the resources in your network or um, on the internet from your workspace. So you get to select the default VPC security group or the workspaces network on, on the workspaces interface in your VPC and control what's going on. Um, and the coolest thing about all of this, Shane, as I alluded to earlier, is that with pricing, um, the cost is dependent on the region in which your workspace is running, um, the bundle that you've selected, but uh, they start as low as $21 US per month, which is uh, far more cost effective than spending tens of thousands of dollars on those dual socket workstations you were alluding to before. Yeah, look, that's less than a dollar a day. And, you know, if all you're doing is, or, you know, your staff is having to do email or, you know, basic admin functionality, less than a dollar per Pretty day. Pretty good deal. Yeah, Pretty it's good. like uh, you know, cheaper than lunch yeah. or a coffee, really. It is. So, Pete, it is now time to close the show. I think I'm going to have maybe a quick power nap now, <laughs> you know. But the question I have, Pete, has the student become the master? Well, grasshopper, uh, I think you've done pretty well. Yes, uh, let's close off the uh, the dojo analogy. Yes, I think uh, I think we're good to go. So hopefully we've given you a fair bit of ammunition now um, to have that really interesting barbecue conversation with your buddies. Yeah, look, today we built on part one. You know, we extended on the basic foundation we built in the previous episode. We spoke about ALK, which is Elasticsearch, Logstash, Kibana, you know, allowing you to keep score on your website by visualizing logs, spotting trends, and finding that needle in the haystack. And Shane, it's Kibana, not Kibana, just to make sure that you don't confuse yourselves at the next barbecue. Uh, and look, we did Meat. we did pivot uh, to the collaboration tooling and uh, talked about reducing you know feedback cycles to make sure that you were closer to your team by using Amazon Chime. And uh, we briefly also touched on the managed Active Directory offering that we have and why you should actually run it to give you that high level of uh, resilience, responsiveness, uh, and availability. And lastly, we spoke about Amazon Workspaces, you know, your VDI experience in the cloud, allowing to build desktop systems at scale from general purpose all the way through to GPU-backed instances and pay for them by the hour. And depending on when you listen to this episode, assuming you do it in the next few days, Sydney Summit, as we mentioned, is fast approaching us. It's actually next week. Mm. And we hope to hear and see listeners at Summit. So if you are in Sydney Summit, pop over to the AWS Summit live booth. If uh, we're not on stage, Pete and I would love to have a chat and welcome any feedback you have about the show. And if you can't be there in person, we still want to hear your feedback. So please contact us on AWS Tech Chat, that's one word, at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building. And tune in to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, um, uh, as well as um, Spotify. So we're everywhere. We're everywhere. See you guys at the next show and hopefully see you in the Sydney Summit. Keep building. Bye for now. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, 
tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.